Well, we're going to talk about everyone's favorite subject today. What do you think that might be? What's that? Giving. Tithing. How many love to hear that topic? Amen. You know, it took me a while to fully understand all this, the aspect of tithing, but once I got a hold of it, it changed my outlook on things. I'll tell you, before I was a Christian, and some would argue still today, my kids, that I'm pretty stingy. <laughs> I am a pretty tight-fisted kind of guy. I would never, I never gave any money to anything. I never even gambled because I thought I was just wasting my money. I did, I, when I was in college, I worked as a uh, night office manager at a uh, steel plant. And my job was to take role, take attendance, of all the unions that were present. I was a pretty popular guy there. But these, these, the guys in the union, I mean, they're all 30 and 40, and I'm, what, 18, 19 years old, and they ran an off-the-books number thing. Basically, they would collect money, play the, play the numbers. Whenever the number came up, if you won, they would pay you. And they kept bugging me to play, play this, and I said, no, nah, I can't. I'm not, I'm not giving you a dollar. I'm not giving anything. They finally talked me into it. So I thought, okay, here's a dollar, leave me alone. And I won. <laughs> and I won. And they came back to me later on that night and they said, you know, you're supposed to tip the guy who sets this up. I said, ain't happening. <laughs> ain't happening. And I haven't played since because I, I know I would never win again. But, yep. I remember when I was in high school, I was dating a girl who was, in, who was a churchgoer. I, didn't, I don't know much about it, but he said to me one time, he said, you know, this girl, her family probably gives 10% of her money to the church. And I went, you're crazy. He said, no, they, they really do. I couldn't believe it. And I, I, I didn't believe it was a common practice. So when I came to know Christ, I was kind of reluctant to do this tithing thing. And, but as, and I would find, I would try to read God's word to find out ways to get out of it. How many have done that? <laughs> Getting out of something you don't want to do, you can probably find a verse that's, you know, agrees with your position. I heard someone say that if you can prove anything you want with the Bible, just grab a verse and you can prove anything. And as much as I tried to find it, I couldn't. So I said, okay. You're telling me to do this, Lord. I'm going to do it, and I'm going to trust you for blessing. And it, for me, it was a way of God increasing your faith. It's not about the giving so much. It's about God increasing your faith. So, and I realized that not only is it a way of increasing your faith, but it's one of those things that you almost have an instantaneous blessing because of it. How many find that to be true? So let's see what God says about giving. And this is the verse we've all, we've all probably read before and have heard it preached on, which by the way, I looked at my notes. It's been 10 years since I talked about tithing. So I wanted to make sure I wasn't like two weeks ago, but, but it's actually been 10 years. It was 2010 that I actually did this. So turn with me to Malachi chapter three. Now before we read the verse that we all probably know, it's important to know the context of what was going on during the time that Malachi wrote this. So 
As you know, it was the last book of the Old Testament. It was written to the Old Testament Israelites, specifically the priests first, and then the priests were gonna read this to the general population. And the, the people in Israel at that point had gotten into a state of formalism. They were doing everything right, but they had no heart behind it. They had no idea why they were doing it other than the fact that, well, we've always done it this way, so we're gonna keep doing it this way. And in my words, it was kind of like a dead religion. I remember going, when I was a kid, I was an altar boy, believe it or not. And I, so I would you know, go and do the masses. And at the time, when I was a kid, they had to do it in Latin. So I had to do everything in Latin. And I, I haven't been to a Catholic church in, in 25 years or so. And when I went to my mom's funeral at a Catholic church, everything that happened in that service was exactly the same way that it happened when I was 10 or 11 years old. I knew everything that was gonna happen. I knew what they were gonna say. Nothing had changed. Everything they were doing was the same ritual, ritual, ritual that they were doing. And if I were to ask them why they do it, it would probably be because we've always done it that way before. And that's exactly what had happened to Old Testament Israel. So God tells us, he chooses this guy Mal- uh, Malachi, which we don't have, know a lot about him, but he uses, them, uses Malachi to talk to the Israelites to kind of challenge them. Malachi 1 verse 2 says this, I have loved you deeply, says the Lord, but you retort, really, how have you loved us? You read that and, and you think they're clueless about God's love for them. You ever, have you ever doubted God's love? I'm reading a book on, on miracles by uh, Lee Strobel. He's the guy that did Case for Christ and Case for Faith and all those. And the very first chapter in the book is called The Case Against Miracles. And he interviews this guy who was a Christian at one point and now obviously fell away and is the publisher for the magazine called Skeptic, if you've ever heard of Skeptic Magazine. And it's basically attacking anything that's religious or miraculous, that kind of thing. And so I'm reading this whole first chapter, and the guy's smart, and he's, he's given all these answers, and the reason he gives that he fell away from the faith is because at one point, his girlfriend was, had injured herself and was paralyzed, and he prayed for God to heal her, and she wasn't healed. And so that was, that was the point that got him. And it's sometimes when things don't work out the way you think they should work out, do you doubt that God's really involved? Do you doubt that God loves you sometimes? Well, Israelites were at the point where they didn't have a clue about it. They didn't know anything. All they were doing, they were doing everything out of habit. And he goes on and says in verse six, the Lord Almighty says to the priests, a son honors his father, a servant respects his master, I am your father and master, but where are the honor and respect I deserve? You've despised my name, but you ask, how have we ever despised your name? You have despised my name by offering defiled sacrifices on the altar. Then you ask, how have we defiled the sacrifices? You defile them by saying that the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. When you give blind animals a sacrifice, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is, says the Lord Almighty. 
Go ahead, beg God to be merciful to you. But when you bring that kind of offering, why should he show you any favor at all? Now we know that the rules in the Old Testament were you're supposed to bring the best and the first of your flocks and whatever for the sacrifice. In fact, God makes it a point to say you're not supposed to bring the things that are crippled and diseased. You're supposed to bring the best. We used to, here and in our previous church, we used to not run a food bank, but we would collect food to give to the food bank. And we found that as we did this, the things that were brought in were usually things that I didn't want or that the people who had them didn't want or they were expired (laughs) or close to being expired. And so most of the time we would give, you know, some of the stuff was good, but a lot of the stuff was, you know, the weird stuff that we have on ourselves and we all have it. It's like, well, I can give this away, I can give this away, and rather than throwing it away, I can give it away. That's kind of what was happening with Israel. That, you know, all the stuff they didn't walk, well, I can't use this lamb anyways, it's not good for anything, he's crippled. Let's give that one to God. And for them, it wasn't a sacrifice. It was what was left over. Eh, whatever's left over, I can give to God. And the letter was intended to be a rebuke to his people about formality and the heart attitude. It was a challenge to them to now start getting right with God and doing it because you want to do it, not because you've been doing it forever. Which begs the question, do we give God our leftovers or things that we don't want? Do you give God your leftover time? your leftover talents, does God take second place on your list of priorities? How many of you have a calendar that you run by every day or week? Where's God on that? Well, if I actually have time at the end of the day, then I'll do this for God. Or do we do for God first and then do the rest of the day? I have found out, and I've said this before, if I try to put off praying till later in the day, Later in the day never comes. But if I pray and do that first, I have time to do everything else. I don't know how it works out, but that's the way God works. So now we're in Malachi. We're going to skip to chapter 3. Verse 7 says, Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my laws and failed to obey them. Now return to me and I will return to you. And how many times did God give them a second chance? (laughs) and a third chance, and a fourth chance, and a fifth chance. You know, you read those things, you read Judges, and you read all the things that they did, and you wonder, man, why doesn't God just stomp on them? Then how many of you realize that we're in the same boat? How often have we come to God blowing it again, or continuing to do things we know we shouldn't do? We keep asking God for forgiveness. So now God begins to answer their questions one at a time. Verse seven says, but you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? They didn't realize where they were. You know, that's the easy thing about sliding away from God is you don't think anything has changed. There's a a pattern that you see when people walk away from the faith. The first thing they do is they stop praying. Then they stop reading their Bible because when they read their Bible, they can get convicted about not praying. Then eventually they're going to start 
not attending church so much because they feel bad about not attending church all the time. And then eventually, they don't attend church at all. And what happens after that is they go back to the lifestyle they were in. But if you were to ask most of them, they would still say, oh yeah, me and God, we're tight. They don't realize that they're walking away from God. They say, what do you mean return? We've not gone anywhere. Sometimes we feel because we do everything externally, we do the things that are right, our relationship is fine. Churches are filled with people who have no relationship with God. But they come because it's something they've always done. They do this or they do that or they give. Whatever it is they do, they do it because it's expected of them. The Pharisees were doing all the externals. They were doing everything right on the outside. And we know what Jesus said to them. You're whitewashed tombs. When uh, we lived in Florida for a couple years, uh, my daughter went to one of the little elementary schools that were down there. Anna volunteered as a house mom or a room mom for the classes. And they would go in. This is now, we lived in Palm Beach County. And if you remember Palm Beach County, it's, it's heavily Jewish section. We, we kid that uh, New York migrates to Palm Beach County because no one actually from Palm Beach County. They're all from New York who go to Palm Beach County. So she volunteers in the school and a lot of the moms come in to help her. And a lot of the moms were Jewish. And, and every time a Jewish holiday would come up, the moms that came would always complain about having to be a part of whatever Jewish holiday it was. I, I gotta go and do this. And I, you know, they, they want me to do this at the synagogue. They, you know, and they, they would complain about all these things they had to do because of the holiday. But yet they would do them. You talk about doing all the externals that are right, but your heart's not in it. That's exactly what was happening with the people in Israel. Verse 8 says, Should people cheat God, yet you have cheated me? But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? Again, they were blinded to the fact that they were offering the, the bad animals. They were doing everything against God's law. How can, you know, if we're stealing from you, if we're cheating from you, how, how are we getting into heaven to steal and cheat from you? We're not taking your stuff, Lord. Verse 8 and 10 you have cheated me out of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, so there will be enough food in my temple. God says, withholding tithes and offerings is the same thing as cheating God. The NIV and the King James says stealing from God. I mean, remember, you know, he said earlier about giving this to your governor and see what he would say. How many know that when your taxes come due, you, don't, you can't steal from the government? They're going to catch you. And that's exactly what it's called. If you fail to pay, it is a crime and you are stealing from the government and they will come after you for that. He then tells them what they are required to do. He tells them to bring it into now the term is storehouse. It's a common term that they used. We could maybe call it a silo or a barn. Things that, you know, a, a place where it is gathered and then dispersed as needed. A tithe is not, I'm going to say this. 
Tithing is not giving to a TV ministry. How many know that? You, you don't send your tithe to David, Jeremiah, or anybody else. You can, I'm not saying don't support them. That's an offering. The tithe goes into the place that you call your home church. Anything above that is an offering. You can support whoever you want after your tithe. I, I remember a friend, I, I was asking about you know, material possessions. How many know it's not wrong to own a bunch of stuff, right? Here's the, here's the, I guess the Reader's Digest version of that. Abraham was super wealthy, right? God blessed him. David, if you tithe and you give offerings to whatever, you support other things, after the, at the end of the day and you've done all your supporting of God, you can use your money for whatever you want. It's okay to have nice stuff. It's okay to have a lot of stuff as long as that stuff doesn't take the place of what God is doing. You're not robbing God to do it. I know a lot of friends of mine back home were blessed, maturely blessed, but they in turn continued to bless the church we were part of. So it's okay to be materially blessed as long as we continue to serve God. And I'm here to tell you that when you do that, you will be blessed. If you tithe, you will be blessed. How many find that to be true? That is true. What were the requirements? They were to bring the, God the first fruits of whatever they raised, and the, and the rate that God told them in the Old Testament was 10%. If they raised 100 sheep, they were to bring God 10 of them. And they were to be the 10 best of the flock. Deuteronomy 14, 23 says, be sure to set aside a tenth of all your fields, all your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your new grain, new wine and oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God, the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name, so you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. And then he goes on in 15 and says, if your animal has a defect, is lame or blind or has any serious flaw, you must not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. God didn't want leftovers. God didn't want things they couldn't sell. He wanted their best. Now, how does that relate today? Just a lot of people think, well, tithing ended in the Old Testament. New Testament, we're in the age of grace. Well, that's true. However, a lot of theologians believe that 10% is the minimum. Now it all belongs to God. And 10% is the minimum we give him. I read a recent statistic that says the average American gives about 2.5% throughout the year. Average American. Now, here's a fun fact. During the Depression, during the Depression, none of us were alive then, but we know it was bad. The average number, the average percentage of giving was 3.3. Higher than it is today when we are rolling in money in this country. Some believe the Old Testament, is a, it's an Old Testament law, has no place in the church. Well, yes, it was an Old Testament, but it's a concept that was not abolished in the New Testament. In fact, it was now meant to be the minimum. The New Covenant replaced and is superior to the Old Covenant. It's a covenant 
that with its manifold blessings imposes greater responsibilities upon us than the Old Testament did. Matthew 23, 23 says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. You have neglected the more important important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Notice he didn't say, stop giving. He said, give, but then have a heart, get your heart right with God too. He didn't eliminate it. He says, you gotta do both. You should have tithed, but you need to have justice, mercy, and faithfulness as well. Matthew 5.17 says, Do not think I have come to abolish the law of prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, we don't offer animal sacrifices anymore. How many are very happy about that? But what does the Bible say we are to offer as sacrifices? Us. Romans 12.1, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. We no longer have to be circumcised. Think about that for a moment. If you look in the Old Testament, not babies, but older guys that did that to be a part of the Jewish faith. Just let that sit in for a minute. Yeah, no anesthetic. Yeah, aren't you glad we don't have to do that today? But now in the New Testament, we let the Holy Spirit circumcise what? Our hearts. Cut away the things in our hearts that are wrong. We let the Holy Spirit renew our hearts so that we have a heart attitude for God. We cut away the things in our life that are displeasing to God. That's what the circumcision is in the New Testament. For those of us who don't think that it ended in the Old Testament, how many have claimed Old Testament promises in New Testament times? If the New Testament got rid of the Old Testament for tithing, then why do we believe the Old Testament blessings are the same? So what's the purpose of the tithe? Does God need your money? Right? Does God need your money? He owns a cattle on a thousand hills, everything he has. He doesn't need money. What does he need? He needs your heart. The main principle behind tithing and giving, it shows where your heart is. If you are able to part with money, which seems to be a magnet for everybody, then your desire is to please God rather than yourself. Matthew 6, 21 says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God knows that the measure of our heart is found in our wallets. Larry Burkett said he can tell a a Christian's attitude toward God by looking at his checkbook. He can tell a spiritual life of a person by looking at a person's checkbook because it dictates the things that are important to you, where, where do they go and what are you buying with them? The Bible mentions money over 800 times and half of Jesus' parables talk about money. I think it happens because that is where people get tripped up over the money. 
People's desire for money more than their desire for God has led them away from God. 1 Timothy 6.10 says this. Now this is the verse that gets misquoted a lot. It says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Notice it doesn't say money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money. Big difference. He mentioned wandering from the faith. What does that mean? It means if we're not giving, we're not being part of that active, we don't have the faith to believe that God says he's going to do what he's going to do. And when we don't do that, it shows God that the things that I have are more important to me than you. Matthew 6.31 says this, So don't worry saying, what are we going to eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. We talked last week about conditional promises. Some of the things in the Old Testament and New Testament that were given as promises are conditional. Basically, if you do this, then I will do that. God says first, if you seek him first, his kingdom, his righteousness first. In other words, if you give, that's part of the kingdom and righteousness. If you are faithful in your giving, then God will give these things to you as well. And what you're doing when you don't give is you're not believing that God is going to provide what he says he's going to provide. God says, you, you put me first and I'll give you the stuff you need. But when we don't give, then God says, well, you're not trusting me to give it to you. And we forget that everything we have has already been given to us by God. We talked about this last week, right? If you have a job, if you're able to wake up and do that job, if you have the intelligence to do your job or the skills to do your job, who gave that to you? God gave that to you. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. If your hearts are right with God, and you realize that God gave you everything anyways, then giving back to him what he requires of us should be easy. Now, I've never been a part, well, actually I was part of a union back when I worked, again, another college job. I cleaned offices at night in Pittsburgh. If you're in a union, you pay union dues. Is that not correct? Right? So, and the theory behind that is the union provides you the job, it gets you all those things, so you have to give back to the union for all that they do for you. Well, God's not a union, but God says, I've given you everything, and I'm just asking you to test me, trust me in what I'm saying to you about this. In fact, it's the only thing that God tells us to test him on in the entire Bible. Matthew 3, Ken says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. King James says, prove me. You ever tell anybody, prove it to me? Prove it. You're asking for something that is provable. What do you want me to prove? What do you want me to test? Verse 10 says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. 
does this mean God is going to pour buckets of cash in your lap? Probably not. But you never know what, and you don't realize what other kinds of blessings God pours into you, into your life. Prove that God will meet your need. God says, prove it. Test me. You give, watch me, and I'll do it back. It's the only time God says, test him on anything. But more often than not, God does not meet the need until you take the step of faith first. God told Moses, step in the water, then I'm going to part it. Well, if you know that it was big stream, it was rough water. He actually had to step in the water before God parted it. God wants us to trust him first by giving and he'll meet the need. And again, that's a heart issue. Are you really ready to trust God for that? Not only is it a heart issue, it's mandatory. Some people think that because we're in the age of grace that eh, we don't have to give. It's, you know, if we want to give, we can give. If we don't, you don't have to tithe to be saved. That's true. You don't have to tithe to be saved. You don't have to give to be saved. But it nonetheless is a requirement. Now the example I'm going to use here, hopefully it'll jive with this. God has a requirement of no sex before marriage. How many know that? How many like that? But like it or not, it's a requirement. God says don't do it. It's mandatory. None. Why? Will sex outside of marriage keep you out of heaven? Well, maybe. Since it's a sin, if we continue to do in spite of God's requirements, what does God's Bible say? Romans 8, 12. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, <clears throat> but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Paul's talking about spiritual death. And he's using that to say, if you continue to disobey me, what's going to happen is you're going to spiritually die. You will no longer feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And like we said at the beginning, you will begin to back away from God. Because if you continue in disobedience, either you're going to feel convicted or you're not. And after a while, if you feel convicted and you keep pushing that away, it's not going to be bad anymore. And the more you do it, the less you're going to feel guilty about it. Until there comes a point where you no longer feel guilty about it at all. And you know, at that point, you're spiritually dead. So if it's true about sex before marriage, the same would be true about tithing. If we consistently refuse to do what God requires, what happens? Our hearts become spiritually dead. We no longer feel that oh, that's not a requirement, it's what I want to do. What is the reasoning behind the sex before marriage rule? Because God wants to be a cosmic killjoy. God wants to just do the whack-a-mole thing because he just wants to ruin everybody's bit of fun. No. On the contrary, to limit our negative consequences, he knows what that does to people and he wants us to avoid it. What's been the result of sex outside of marriage? 
diseases, abortion, unwanted pregnancies, destroyed marriages, baggage going into a marriage. Does everyone have that? No. Doesn't matter. God says, don't do it. I want you to avoid the pain that's going to come with that. Do you think that God knew that would be the result? A lot of people thought in the 80s that AIDS was God's judgment on people. I never thought that. I just assumed that God knew that's the natural consequence of what's going to happen, so I'm telling you don't do it because it's going to hurt you. How many of you have little kids, and you tell them not to do something, and they think you're killing their fun because you're telling them not to do it? It's not fair. Dad, I, I want to do it. Why can't I? Because I know it's going to hurt you. You're going to get hurt, so I'm telling you don't do it. Man, you're not fair. You walk. Doesn't matter. You as the parent know that the inevitable outcome of them doing something is possibly to hurt themselves. And so you as a parent forbid them from doing it. God tells us for our good, don't do it. There's going to be fallout from that sin. Whether you experience it now or whether other people have experienced it or not, there's still going to be fallout. Tithing is the same. He tells us to do it. Why? So our faith is challenged and built up. Nothing encourages your faith by seeing a promise of God come true in your life. You know, it's one thing to hear testimonies from other people, but when you see God doing it for you, man, you want to do it again. <clears throat> Andrew Hill, professor of Old Testament studies at Wheaton College says this, it's true that there really is no carryover stipulation in the New Testament to give a tithe, he says. 10% seems to be an assumption rather than a given, than a given imperative. He says he personally thinks the 10% mandate from the Old Testament should be a minimum carryover from the Old Covenant to the New. It's a baseline, a suggested idea for proportional giving. The tithe in the Old Testament was designed to make a statement about God as a source of good things. By the giving of our tithe, we acknowledge God as the source and tangibly demonstrate our thanksgiving and faith. Preaching on tithing is just like preaching on anything else. It's a challenge and an encouragement to step out in faith, to trust God for what his word says. You know, we trust him for other things, but sometimes when it comes to, to money, it's, yeah, it's a little different. But for God, it's not. It's basically, are we going to do what God tells us to do? And are we going to trust God in every area of our life or just some areas of our life? A lot of people compartmentalize their faith. What do I mean by that? Well, you can be a, faith, you can be a Christian at, at church. You can be a Christian at home. But yeah, I can't be a Christian at work. You don't understand who I work with and things that are going on there. I really can't demonstrate my faith there because it just wouldn't fly. That's compartmentalizing. Well, you know, I can trust God to, for healing. I can trust God for provision. I can trust God to save people. But, you know, I, I just can't trust God to, to give away money. It's compartmentalizing. When I, when I don't think I'm going to have at the end of the month, I'm not going to have enough, God, you'll just have to wait to see if I have enough at the end. That's leftovers. <clears throat> do you believe that God will provide more than enough to cover your faith in what you give? Now the phrase that was used at the beginning, windows of heaven that God will pour blessings from. 
I mentioned before, you're not going to get buckets of cash. I mean, you might. I doubt it, but you might. You may not get a raise at work. You may not get a check in the mail. You might. But maybe your car doesn't break down. Maybe you don't get sick and have to go to the hospital. As the Israelites had 40 years in the desert, their sandals never wore out. I have a, an old white Kia van. It has 190,000 miles on it. Still running. Haven't had to buy another one. It's paid off. God's kept that thing going. Beyond all expectation. Looking for a, a car for my daughter when she was in college, I, yeah, I bought a $600 Oldsmobile. And it lasted three years before I had to take it out and shoot it. Just like Katie's car. Same car, actually. And she's got to shoot hers. Right, Jean? She's got to shoot hers. You may have good health, not require any medical bills. You may not have to take time off work, saving you money. Maybe he keeps your house from being damaged from the weather or from vandals. Maybe he provides an item that you needed on sale. If you currently tithe, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I don't know anyone who tithes who wishes they didn't. In fact, the more they give, the more they see God working in their lives. And the more, the more they acknowledge, rather than saying, well, it's just a, a coincidence that my white van lasted so long. No, God has kept that thing running. I've been, other than like today, I've been pretty healthy. I don't have to go to the doctor as much. God has kept me from that. It wasn't just accident or coincidence or genetics. Aside from the material blessings that God gives us, the most important thing is the knowledge that you're being obedient to God and what he's asked us to do. And only because of that can you see God working and know that your faith is being built up. And I'm here to tell you, the time to tithe is not when you can afford it. Because you'll never be able to afford it. The time will never come. There will always be other expenses and always be emergencies that suck up the money. It's at the point of not having enough that you put your trust and you put God to the test. When you don't have enough money, that's when you have to trust God. When you got all kinds of money, you don't have to trust God. But when you look at your bills and you look at your income and it doesn't match, that's when you trust God. Okay, Lord, you told me to, to prove you. So here it goes. Here's the check. I'm proving you. Help me. If we give to God when we are in need, that's our faith taking action. Last week we talked a little bit about the widow at Zarephath. The prophet came to her and said, look, I know you have not much left. Make me something first, and then you can make yours. Now that was a pretty bold move on his part. She was basically going to make her son and her the last meal and then die, and he comes in and says, make me first. Whatever's left over, you can make. And she did it anyways. She stepped out in faith, she did it, and guess what happened? God gave her enough oil to keep going. 
it, her buckets didn't run dry. God rewarded her for her faith. When we were back in Pittsburgh, my, our first ministry job when we started tithing didn't make a lot of money, so our tithe checks were pretty small. We wrote them. And after a while, we, you know, we moved to Florida and when my parents were sick for a couple years and I had actually had a real job and I made real money. And I remember the first time I, I had to write the tie check out, I was like, whoa, that was a pretty big check compared to what I was used to giving because my salary had increased. And I thought, yeah, this check is almost bigger than my paycheck from back home. And I was looking at that for a while and I thought, Again, trying to find a way out of writing such a big check. But then I thought, God proved himself when we had a little bit. I know God's going to prove himself when we have a lot. And so we gave it. And God blessed and honored that because he's faithful. Any accountants in here? Any math majors? 90% goes further than 100%. Can't figure it out. On paper, it doesn't work. But I can only tell you from my experience and those of you who have had the same thing, 90% goes further than 100%. I don't know how it works. On paper, it doesn't work. But God. God says, prove me in this. Test me. It's the only time he tells us to test him and see if I don't work. See if I don't pour the blessings upon you. Maybe your blessings are a healthy family. You know, one of the things my wife and I always say, we don't have a lot, everyone's healthy. Praise God. Because I know people who are sick who would trade everything they have for, what, for health. If you struggle to make ends meet, Put God to the test. Test him. And I can tell you from experience, for me it works. God will provide for you when you trust him to do it. And the more we trust him, the more your faith is built. And the first time that I saw God work, I was like, man, okay, let's do this again. I wanna see God work again. When you see God working in a tangible way in your life, whether a provision, a miraculous thing, whatever it might be, doesn't it encourage you to trust God for the next step and the next step? And the more that God provides, the more it trusts, you trust him to move on. Would you stand as we close this morning? <clears throat> if you would bow your heads for a moment. You know, when we talk about giving, it always, it always seems self-serving to a point. But reality is, we're not talking about giving so much. We're talking about your ability to experience the hand of God in your life. Giving is just a way that God uses to be able to pour blessings in your life. It's a tangible method by which we give 
and we get to see God provide. You know, I'm not involved in any of the finances. I don't know who gives what. So maybe you all tithe. I have no idea. This is meant to be an encouragement to step out and trust God for something. The only time that God tells us to to test Him. I can only tell you, and I know others here have shared their testimony of how God met the needs. I remember Marina's testimony. She would throw her bills on the bed, say, God, I need I need help. And God met every bill. That's what I want to encourage. Man, when you talk about relationships with God, that's the relationship. Well, we trust God when we don't have enough. I don't have enough at the end of the month, Lord. So I'm going to write my check at the beginning of the month and I'm going to trust you that by the end of the month, something's going to happen and you're going to meet the needs. It works. Maybe you're here this morning and you've, maybe you've been in church for a while, maybe this is your first time, but you're not quite sure, you don't understand the, the giving thing. Maybe you, you don't really know Jesus the way we know Jesus. That's not, to, that's not meant to discourage you. It's just maybe you don't have a relationship with Christ. Maybe you don't know, maybe you've never asked Christ to forgive you of your sins. You've been in church, but you've never, quote, gotten saved. You've never prayed the prayer. And you never allowed God to change your life. As Christians, God changes you from the inside out. When I had an attitude about giving, God, the Holy Spirit, had to change my heart from the inside out. And the only way that God can change your heart and make you into who He knows you can be. It's by first acknowledging him as the one who died for your sins. One who gave his life so you can have life. If you're here and you've never really committed your life to Christ, and you may have been in church, you may have done the church thing, you may be givers, but you've never accepted what Jesus did for you on the cross. And you want to do that this morning. The Bible says you're not here by accident. You're here because God brought you here. For something that was said or done or discussed, whatever it was, God brought you here for that purpose. So if you don't know Jesus and you want to, be, you want to have your sins forgiven, you want to have a clean slate with God, I want you to raise your hand right now. Thank you. Father, I thank you so much for being such a great God to us. You're better to us than we deserve you to be. And we're thankful. Your word says you do meet our our needs. And you build our faith through our ability to trust you as we give to you that you are able to pour back into our lives. 
Lord, I pray your blessings upon each person here today. Allow their faith to grow. Allow their trust in you to grow. It may be baby steps. It may be all at once. But God, I pray that you would make yourself real to them. And each person here would experience what your word has promised they will experience. And allow our relationship to grow more and more. That we would love you more and more. Thank you for all you've done, all you've blessed us with, Lord. We, we have been so blessed. Lord, I pray you would allow us to be able to use that to share with others what you've done in our lives. I pray your blessings upon us as we leave today. Strengthen our faith and our walk and allow us to reflect Jesus wherever we go so when people see us, they see something different, something that is attractive to them that they want. And that something is Jesus. Father, we will thank you for all you have done and all you continue to do in us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We will see you Wednesday.